Hello again, and welcome to another podcast of Risen Fellowship. Appreciate you tuning in today. I'm going to do a second story from the Old Testament that as you read through the Old Testament, sometimes you might get involved in this chapter. And as you start reading it, get bogged down and go, what does that mean to me today? Well, I hope we'll be able to take some of the things from that passage and highlight them, but then see a clearer picture of what it means to us today. This is a stereogram 3D picture again, like the mosaic, that if you focus in on the center of it and all of a sudden a clear picture will come. I believe that inside this Old Testament chapter is something that could encourage us about living our life for Christ today as we follow him. And the chapter I'm going to talk from today is Nehemiah chapter 3. And what we're going to be able to see is from the gates that are being repaired. Nehemiah was the governor uh, that had come back to Jerusalem from after being in exile of 70 years. Nehemiah had come back and was trying to repair the walls and the gates. Ezra, who was the priest and the scribe, was trying to teach people how to live and walk with the God of Israel. And so as they were repairing these gates, you can be reading through the names of these gates and think, what significance does that have for me today? But as you look at them, I believe there is a spiritual lesson for each of us to be able to see what God has done and what God is doing in our life. So let's just go through these 10 gates and see what kind of picture it draws for us. The first gate is listed for us in verse 1, and it's called the Sheep Gate. And the very thing about the Sheep Gate is that it reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, Even in one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about Abraham and Isaac were walking up to the mountain to uh, Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. And Isaac asked his dad, said, Father, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the lamb? And then when God miraculously provided a substitute for Isaac uh, on that altar, it wasn't a lamb, it was a ram. Well, Isaac's question that he asked of his father was answered in the first chapter of John when John the Baptist was preaching about the kingdom of God being at hand and he saw Jesus walking up and he pointed at Jesus and got the attention of the people said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is that lamb, which is a sheep that was for our sacrifice for our sin. So that's the first gate that's mentioned to be repaired. And that's obvious in our spiritual walk. Without a sacrifice, there is no salvation. And so we had to have that first gate being the sheep gate so that we could be reconciled and restored in the right relationship with God. And what's interesting is that as you read this real carefully, you'll find that this gate had no locks or bars attached to it, that this gate was open for anyone that wanted to walk through that gate. Just as salvation is open to anyone and everyone and not locked out from anybody on this earth. Anyone that wants to accept Jesus Christ and follow him as Lord of their life can be saved by him. Now the second gate we see in this chapter of Nehemiah 3 is called the fish gate. And once we've entered into salvation, We're followers of Christ, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So we, as we follow Christ, should be willing to share our faith and share with the world about what Jesus Christ means to us. So that's the second gate. The third gate comes to us in verse 6, and it's in some translations, it's called the old gate. 
Some translations say it's the Shoshana gate, which means old. And, you know, the thing that challenges me as I see this gate, as I become a follower of Christ and uh, realize I've been reconciled to God by the sacrifice of Christ, that is what is a lot of times called the old story of Christ. And it amazes me today the way everybody seems to be looking for something new and something different when salvation is hidden in the old. And we should trust the old, the Word of God, which has been around for centuries. And we should trust the truths that are printed in God's Word for us to be able to know the path that we should walk by. So you have the sheep gate, you have the fish gate, you have the old gate, and then comes the valley gate in verse 13. And the valley means you're, you're going lower, you're, you're descending. And that is a, a great spiritual picture of humility. And for any of us to follow the Lord, it's going to take humility of ourselves, of bowing down before the Lord and allowing Him to be the Lord of our life. But the thing that makes it easy to submit ourselves to being servants to Christ is that Christ did that for us. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, one of the highest Christological passages of all the Bible, Paul writes to us and talks about how Jesus emptied himself of being God, and he humbled himself, and he condescended and came to earth, left heaven and came to earth, and became our servant. And not just a servant, but a bondservant who was willing to be obedient to the Father in everything, even to the point of death. And as Philippians 2 passages tells us about how Jesus descended from the glories of heaven and came to the valley of human limitation, even to the point of death, then we should be willing to submit ourselves and humble ourselves unto our Lord and being willing to follow Him even to death. The thing of it is... We don't usually enjoy going through the valley. When we go through a valley of uh, humiliation, a lot of times it, it's very difficult. But it's during those times, those difficult times, in which God chooses to bless us more than probably the times when we're on the mountains. So we go to the valley gate of humility. And then the fifth gate is called, in verse 14, the dung gate. This is probably called that because this is the gate that where the waste and the refuge of the city was taken out of the city and disposed of. Probably wouldn't be a tourist attraction. Probably wouldn't be uh, one of the places where, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to go to the Dung Gate. But this gate shows the necessity, if we're going to follow Christ, of cleansing ourselves of the things that are nothing but waste in the eyes of eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, since we have these promises, the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ, Paul says, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and of the spirit, bringing holiness to the completion in the fear of God. It's up to us to get rid of all those things that make us dirty before God. And Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 and 17 says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice and correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. So when we get rid of the wasteful things in our life, 
then we're going to be more prepared to do the things that God really wants us to put ourselves to, like helping the orphans and the widows who desperately need somebody out there pleading their cause. So that's the dung gate, the fifth gate. Then comes the fountain gate in verse 15, which really this highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in the world today. And Jesus taught about this even before the Holy Spirit came into the world. In John chapter 7, it says that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it's almost like uh, the Apostle John now was given this inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this so we would understand what was happening in this cultural environment that Jesus was living in that day and inviting people to come and drink. It's like John puts this little parenthetical thought in there for us to be able to understand. He said, now he, Jesus, said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as of yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So it's interesting that the Holy Spirit was going to come to the world later, but after Jesus had performed his ministry and ascended back to the heaven, the Holy Spirit would come and then become that living water for people to drink. And so it's interesting to note that when you look at these last three uh, gates, first there's humility. We have to humble ourselves, and we do that through the valley gate. Then there's a cleansing which takes place, which is through the dung gate. And when we humble ourselves and cleanse ourselves, then we're ready to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the fountain gate, to have rivers of living water flowing from our life. Which leads us to the seventh gate, which is in verse 26, called the water gate. And this is the gate that connects us to the Word of God because it's only God's words that can really wash us and cleanse us. Even in the great passage of Ephesians 5 where it talks about the marriage chapter that a lot of people use in weddings about uh, what the bride is and what the bridegroom is. And, and Jesus as the eternal bridegroom is going to take his bride to church and he's going to wash us and he washes us not with water but he washes us with his word. And he's doing that so he can present his bride perfect and holy and blameless to God and the Father. And again, note that this is the seventh gate that's mentioned in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3. And in the Bible, the number seven usually uh, refers to perfection. So this Word of God that washes us is the perfect Word of God. And when we read through this chapter, we find there was no need to repair this gate. It was still in working uh, order. And Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So that's the water gate, the word of God that washes us and cleanses us. And then the eighth gate in verse 28 is the horse gate. Like, where does that come from? Well, in that day, when you think of a horse, you usually think of that representing warfare that the soldier is going to be riding out on the horse, ready to go to battle. And battles are certainly present in the everyday life of a Christian, and we must be ready to fight. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy in that second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy, which is basically Paul's last will and testament. Those were his last recorded words 
for any of us to be able to hear. In chapter 2, Paul wrote this to Timothy. You, therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Why would he want him to do that? He goes on in verse 3. He says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus to please the recruiter. For no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns and the affairs of everyday life. Paul was right there telling young Timothy, you're going to have to take up the baton. You're going to have to take up the torch now, and it's going to be a battle. So you better get prepared, and you better get on your horse so you can be where God wants you to be. And then, of course, in that last chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul writes the words that are so familiar to many of us. And he knows that his life is just about to come to an end. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And it was a battle for every day that Paul lived, and and he was ready and prepared for the warfare that was there. Then the ninth gate is the east gate, and that's in verse 28. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the east, I always think about that's how the Lord is going to return. He's going to come from the east, and everybody is going to look up and see him. So usually when you talk about the east, that's where you're looking for the second coming of Christ. And even Matthew wrote in chapter 24, he says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And that's the ninth gate. And then the last gate in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 32 says it's called the muster gate in the English Standard Version. It's also known as the Mitkad gate, which means appointment or account, which is a military uh, connotation of the troops showing up for review, standing in judgment if they're ready for war, not if they're, if they're found ready and and prepared by their master. And certainly God is going to call each and every person that's ever lived on this earth into one day into judgment. And we're all going to stand before judgment. Now, the thing of it is, if we have come through the sheep gate and accepted Christ as our Lord and for him to be our savior, we will not be judged at the great white throne judgment. Jesus as our advocate will uh, stand up for us and say, uh, Father, this is one of mine, and we will pass through that judgment seat of the great white throne. But as a believer, then we will go before Christ, and he will evaluate and judge our works of how we've lived our life. But because of the sheep gate, all the way to the final judgment, we can have confidence that God is going to restore us to the original plan that he had for us before sin entered this world. So when you read this chapter, you're going to read a lot of names that don't make a lot of sense to you. You're going to see a lot of gates that you're going to think, what does this gate mean? Where is this gate? But it's just a picture that shows us of what the Christian life is. From the sheep gate, which is salvation, to the final gate, which is judgment. And I ask you today, how are you walking in the life as a follower of Christ. And I ask you to be ready for a couple weeks. Our next podcast, we're going to talk about the times that we're in right now. We're going to talk about the way we should be living our life and the way we should be following uh, Christ and what we can do to improve on being prepared for the battle that's in front of us. Thank you for tuning in today. And if you want to rate or review this, please do that. And if you have a question, again, send that to me at Mike 
at risen.church and I will respond to you.